the Pillars of Health podcast with strength coach John Carroll, coming to you from the Movement Lab in Raleigh, North Carolina. We're about to dive into everything you need to know when it comes to strength and conditioning, nutrition, sleep, and stress management. Check us out on movementlabrally.com and coachjohncarroll.com. And now your host, John Carroll. Very excited to chat with Alexis Hasselberger today on the Pillars of Health podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Alexis. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So uh, before we get into what it is you do and a little bit on your background and all that, let's launch into the icebreaker question and 90s hip hop real quick. All right. So (laughs) what are some of your best memories? And it could be like in relation to a song or an album. What kind of sticks out for you from that that, uh, time period? That era? Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, for me, like, like a lot of people, my high, my musical taste may have, like, peaked in high school and college. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, Low End Theory is always my favorite album of all time. And I think, you know, I, I just love listening to that anytime. But I think in terms of specific memories, you know, I went to college in New York in the late 90s, early 2000s, and I got to see a lot of a lot of live shows. So I got to see De La live and I got to see The Roots and Erica Badu yes. and a whole bunch of people often for free at summer stage. And yeah. so like, those are the memories that I always think of, you know, as a person who is older now with kids and who doesn't see a lot of live music. Right, right. Yeah, and I feel like looking back in that time period, at, you know, obviously during when you're living that time, you're obviously not aware of later on how much they will mean and look back on you know and but to see like the roots and eric badu alive and stuff like that and like you said pro- probably for free most times or, or little cost you know it was pretty amazing yeah i mean i could see it was either for free or i could pay for it on a college student's budget right 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 exactly exactly i know it's uh <laughs> it's, right it's definitely uh one in a million type of, of of era to look back on and pretty awesome too so yeah yeah agreed Cool. Um, so you are a productivity and time management coach, correct? Correct. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So I'm just going to ask you to kind of fill our listeners in on your background and uh, how, you, how you basically got to your current position. Sure. I would be happy to. So I, um, I started my career as you know, someone that worked in offices, and I ran HR and operations in startups for about 15 years uh, out here in the Bay Area. And you know, when you're at startups, there is always way more to do than people to do it. I was always at pretty early stage companies, and it became clear that you know my superpower or whatever it is, you know, we've all got something we're better at than other people, right? right? And mine was just the ability to get a whole lot done and not burn out. So be nice. able to work normal hours, um, but still be hyper productive. And mm-hmm. so I started. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a geek and a nerd, and I started kind of codifying all of that stuff. And what am I doing that's different than other people? And and helping others and mentoring others with that kind of stuff, and setting up systems in the companies that I work for, right. and and sort of do, doing all of that, and started doing maybe some productivity workshop kind of stuff. And then when my last, the last startup that I worked for, when we decided to shut it down, I realized that this piece of the time management and the productivity sort of just information, teaching, et cetera, was not only the most fun for me, but also it seemed to be the most impactful thing that I had been doing with other people as well because I was getting that kind of feedback. Mm -hmm. So I decided to open up a practice doing just that 
and see if I could make it work. And so I, so I opened this, my practice up just a little over a year ago um, and built out curriculums and you know, coaching programs. And I think I've proved to myself that I can do this as a living. Right. <laughs> and so, so that's what I'm doing. So I work with people one on one through a coaching program that I call Take Control of Your Time. I am about to launch a group coaching program, uh, the same program, but just in a group setting. Yeah. And then I do a lot of corporate workshops as well. So I'll either come on site or do virtual workshops and give people kind of the basics of if you only have two hours or three hours, here's the stuff you should know and here are the most impactful tips. Okay, okay. That's very cool. And, you know, just just offhand, a question that comes to mind is like, are you ever, because obviously you're around people, you know, and, and coaching them on how to best manage their time, but are you ever still shocked at how bad some people are? I mean... <laughs> I, I would guess I would say like I'm not shocked at how bad people are. Right. I'm shocked at what people are willing to put up with. Right. Is I guess what I would say. Like yeah. and the fact that, you know, I would say every single person that I work with is really a successful person in their own right. You know, these are not people who are like struggling at life. Yeah. But there may be people who have been brute forcing their way through life and have been successful at the expense of their personal life, perhaps. And and for me, how, like being able to have a life at the end of the day is just as important as you know being productive and valuable in the work that you're doing. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense because it's almost to the point where I feel the mantra has gotten to like you know you have to sacrifice that personal life in order to be successful. Whereas at the same time, someone like you comes along, it's like, well, not necessarily, right? Right. Yeah. And it's, it's like showing people that there is another way, right? Like yeah. you can be successful and not be answering work emails at 11 p.m. <laughs> like that is exactly. a you can live. Yes. Yes. Very true. Very true. How? <laughs> and, um, you know, obviously it's very case dependent for you, but are there some common strategies that you, you try to implement with people who may be overwhelmed in time management areas? Yeah. And so I think, you know, as I mentioned, I have a, a curriculum that I built and that I use with people. Uh, and yet I, so there's, there's common themes throughout all of that. And yet I approach each person from a very personalized standpoint, because I think, you know, the first thing you have to do is figure out who this person is and what makes them tick and what their personality is like, so that we can pick different strategies that work well for who they are already, instead of trying to, you know, fit them into a box, because right. I think no, that doesn't work. But at its core, I think, you know, the most important thing that I help every single one of my clients with is coming up with a system for handling the tasks, the to-dos, the stuff you've got to remember, all of that stuff that lives outside of your brain. Yeah. Like that is the most important thing. So whether someone ends up doing that with an app or a spreadsheet or a notebook or you know, however they end up implementing that, really putting their mind around and having a mindset shift of, you don't have to use your brain to remember this stuff. We can put it outside of your brain and you can still access it and actually access it in a way that's much more useful, productive, and less stressful than trying to remember everything. Yeah, that's, that's definitely something I use myself. And I think, you know, it was, it was coming out of college and I was used to just using my head to remember everything, right? And then I was like, let me not do this anymore because I need the space to do other things. <laughs> so. Right. And also, yeah, it's like when you're, I mean, I remember back to like when I was in college, my system was literally, this is ridiculous, but I used to use a ballpoint pen and write the stuff I had to do on the back of my hand. Well. <laughs> and like, that was my system. Yeah. And then, you know, you get into the working world and you're like, oh, I just have a lot more to do now. Yeah. That doesn't work anymore. 
Right, right. Yeah, I, I feel looking back, uh, you know, I definitely left a lot to be desired in how I was organizing things, and then it kind of manifested itself into a to-do list, which mm-hmm. I kind of found myself chasing every day, and that wasn't exactly helping. So then I kind of prioritized, okay, what do I need to get done today instead of like kind of accomplishing the to-do list, so to speak, right? Right, yeah, like making sure that, you know, a huge component, right, is making sure that the time you have in the day and the stuff that you're planning to do actually matches up, right? And exactly. Yeah. I have a list of 500 things what should I do today, which right. is kind of a losing problem. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I'm, I'm very happy you brought up the term systems there because um, when it comes to the Movement Lab and our training facility here in Raleigh, we, we implement systems when it comes to, like, obviously training progressions for our members, but also everything else we do, whether it's finances or, you know, the, the cleaning list or whatever it is, we try and have it set up to where it's pretty straightforward and there's there's actually a plan to it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that you, you have systems there because that's something that's littered throughout my life and day to day. Do you feel like when you introduce, sorry, introduce this to people who you're working with that this makes more sense to them as opposed to what they were doing before? I think it does. And I think that there's always, you know, with anything new, there's often a, a little bit of a hurdle at the beginning, right? Because it, feel, it can feel really overwhelming for people to actually make that, that jump of getting everything out of their head. Because it, when they can see it on paper, they're like, wow, this is a lot of stuff. Yeah. And what I try to tell people is, look, it's the same amount of stuff, whether it's in your head making you crazy or outside of your head in a way that you can actually prioritize it. And so I think once they, they see that, then it becomes like this huge stress relief because they know that the stuff is there. It's not going anywhere. They don't have to try to remember it and that they can see a path forward. Right. Right. You know, speaking of kind of stress relievers as well, the uh, the topic we'll get onto in just a second about saying no. For me personally, you know, this was this was a game changer. And, and can you kind of go into a little bit on why maybe allowing people to say no to doing certain things is important when it comes to self care? Yeah, I, I mean, I think saying no is really important, and I think it's also something that we as a culture and like especially women, right, are are just not used to, right? right. That's something we're not comfortable with, we're used to sort of doing for others, and just people in general. Yeah. But, but I think it's really important for a couple of reasons. One is that, you know, we often say things, we often say yes to things out of a sense of obligation or a should, but it's something that we're gonna feel resentful of, like the whole time until it happens, or, or right. we're gonna try to like get out of it later, and so it's just <laughs> causing this undue stress. And then the other thing is when you say, when you say yes to everything, you're by default saying yes to stuff that you don't really want to do, right? You're just saying yes to stuff. And then what you find is when something does come up that you do really want to do, you don't have the time in your life to do that thing. And so by saying no, you're protecting your time for more of the stuff that you actually want to say yes to, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And what would you attribute the the constant like agreeing to do things? Is it just wanting to please people? Do you think? I think that's a big part of it. I think like it doesn't it doesn't feel great to say you know I know you're asking me to do this thing, but I'm just I'm going to say no. Yeah. And what I try to tell people is that like it is much better to say no now. Or to, I mean, even to just give someone an answer, right? Because a lot of times people are okay with the answer, but if you drag your feet on it, that's more of a problem, right? right? 
saying no. And so, you know, what I often find with my clients is they're pretty reluctant at first to say no to anything because it feels like um, maybe a failure in some way. And then, you know, the way that I work with people to get them to get them there is to just do an experiment, right? It's like say no to one thing you don't want to do this week and see how that feels. Let's see if there are any negative repercussions that come from that, mm-hmm. right? And when people start to realize that not only are there no negative repercussions, like they're not seeing, you know, their friend isn't getting mad at them or, you know, they're not failing at work because of this, but also how freeing it feels to be able to say no to something that doesn't jive with your values and your goals, then it becomes easier to do it again and again. Right, right. You know, when I was writing out kind of the outline for our our chat today and saying no came up, it definitely cast my mind back to early on in my career when you don't particularly... In some instances, depends where you're working, right? But you may not have the opportunity to say no. But definitely as you get more experience and you've perhaps been in a job for a little bit longer and you're a little bit more sought after, right, and people want to work with you, you do have that ability. And I definitely think it's kind of dependent on where you're at in your career sometimes. But you, you definitely will work your way to that point in time where you can say no. Right. And I think I think that's totally right. You know, like if you're an entry level person at a job, you're not going to be telling your boss, no, I'm not going to do this. (laughs) But a lot of times I think it's it's actually more on the personal front where people are having trouble saying no than it is on the professional front, because on the professional front, it's kind of it's more about prioritization. Right. It's like, okay, is this thing more important than this other thing that we're trying to do? And those are realistic conversations you can have with your boss about the relative priorities of things. It's more on like the obligation side. Like, do you want to volunteer at your kid's school for five hours, uh, you know, being a chaperone? Or, you know, do you know these types of things that people say yes to? And it's like, I said yes once to being a chaperone on my kid's field trip. And then I said, well, I'm not going to do that again. (laughs) I love my kids. I don't love being a field trip chaperone. I will volunteer in other ways. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, that sounds about right. And just creating boundaries in general, you know, because when you have someone start saying no and they see that, okay, now I've created a boundary where I actually, I'm saying to someone, I can't do that because, you know, I have other stuff going on. I want to prioritize some time for myself, perhaps. Do they come back to you with this sense of almost being freed um, from this obligation? Yeah, I think they really do. And in fact, I just had a client recently who, like we talked about this concept and he'd been you know, a little bit resistant to it, but he decided to move forward. And you know, something that I think really clicked for him was that especially in a work environment, you know, he had said no to doing a tech demo at a conference. And he gave that to someone on his team. And what I told him was like, hey, you know what else is really great about this? One, you're not doing it and not feeling resentful of it, et cetera. But you also just gave an opportunity to someone on your team who actually really wanted that opportunity, right? And so sometimes when we're saying no to something, that actually gives somebody else the opportunity to say yes to that thing. Right, right. And, you know, one thing that kind of popped up just in my mind there was like, you know, creating boundaries can be kind of like what we talked about in relation to maybe saying no in, in your personal life or work life, but also with people that are close to you. So it, it can be family, right? And mm-hmm. uh, I think we all have that family member who is maybe, you know, almost in our lives too much or, and we kind of struggle to be like, okay, this is enough, some time away from you and so on. How, how, do you, how do you go about approaching that boundary in the personal life when perhaps the boundaries haven't been there previously? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you're, you've hit something spot on, which is that it's always easier to create boundaries from the get-go, right, right. than to kind of backtrack on it. But I think that what people can do, especially in those personal relationships, is, you know, brainstorm a bit for themselves about what is an appropriate level of, you know, interaction, communication, et cetera, with this person? Like, what would feel okay to them? Is that, you know, going out to lunch with them once a month or like talking on the phone once a week if it's your mom or, you know, what is that level that feels okay to you? And then trying to implement that, right? So not saying I'm going to cut this person off entirely, but saying, hey, can we set up a, can we set up a call on the first Saturday of every month with whoever it is or something that allows you to still maintain a connection to them, but at a level that feels more doable and appropriate to you, Mm -hmm. which I find is a lot easier for both sides to take because a lot of times when we talk about boundaries and personal relationships, people go to the extreme and they're like, well, this person is creating havoc in my life, so I'm just going to cut them out completely. And that often just doesn't work and it creates a lot more mess. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Awesome. Well, we are we are in an age right now where technology is becoming a larger part of our everyday life. And uh, I, yeah, I just want to kind of get your insight when it comes to managing our phone usage, our you know obviously our exposure on apps and stuff like that, and how we can be more productive when it comes to maybe reducing screen time or even using our phones, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there that at a at a high level, I think the most important thing we can do is not just go with the default settings of everything. Because the default settings of every app and essentially every technology experience that we have are designed to pull our focus and our attention to that thing as much as possible. And so I think that with our phones, we can turn off all the push notifications, right? Like we don't need email notifications. We don't need... We don't need, you know, LinkedIn notifications. We definitely <laughs> like there. There's a study from a few years back that said that showed that when we're interrupted, whether we're interrupting ourselves or whether it's the ding of our phone or whatever it is, it takes us on average 23 minutes to get back into the focus of what we were doing. Right. Like three minutes, not 23 seconds. Yeah. Right. So if you think about all those notifications that you're getting all day long. I think that's that's just a huge piece that can really remove a lot of that. In terms of kind of protecting us from ourselves, right? It's it's all about intention. And so I think you know one thing that I that I tell people to do is all those whatever your whatever those apps are for you that are your time suck apps, you know, those ones that you know you're gonna go down the rabbit hole, whether it's you know Instagram or Facebook or Reddit or whatever it is. Put all of those in a folder on your phone that you label something like time sucks or don't touch or whatever and put it four swipes back, like put it all the way in the back so that it's just that half second where your thumb doesn't go there automatically, right? You're kind of breaking that, that connection, that muscle memory connection. And that actually really helps us to curb our own, you know, maybe addiction is too strong of a word, but that, that pull that we have with that stuff. Um, because if it's just there and our thumb goes there, you know, I think we've all experienced that thing where we go to check an email on our phone and somehow like 45 minutes later, we're playing some game, but we still haven't checked that email. (laughs) And then also just putting your phone away more, like when you're at work and you're working or you're, or if you're just heads down working on something, putting your phone inside your backpack or your purse and just not having it out, I think is a huge, is a huge piece because when it's out, we go to it. Yes, yes, I, 
I totally agree with that because that's that's actually the practice I've gotten into recently because I've been trying to get back to like writing some more articles from my website and stuff. So when I put my phone away, it's in, in fact it's it's very liberating, you know. Right. Um, and I, you know, very interesting that you brought up the twenty three minutes it takes us to perhaps get back on task once we check the phone because I can I done this yesterday, so so yeah. I I went on to uh, look up a contact I got totally distracted went to a social media app. And probably 15 to 20 minutes later, I'm like, what did I get on here for? Right. So, you know. And I mean that, you know, I do this stuff for a living and that still happens to me, right? right. Like it's right. not as a, it's, and so I think that's why it's so important to just be mindful about it. Because even you and me who are mindful of this stuff, it still happens, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then in relation to almost, you know, okay, if we're going to be on there, how can we manage the information? Because with social media, like all the apps you just mentioned, we, we really are at a, a, basically a precipitation point where it's information overload and, you know, it's easy to feel kind of overwhelmed. Do you, do you kind of advise people as to how to best go about that? Yeah. So I think there are a couple of things that, that I find really helpful. Uh, one is really simple and it's just using an RSS reader. So I use Feedly and I have, you know, maybe a hundred different blogs or sites that I read and I have them all, the RSS feeds all going to one place so that I can access it when I want. I can access all the content when I want to, mm -hmm. but it also doesn't come into my email. It doesn't come into any other place so that I can just access it when I want to and I don't have to feel like I'm missing out on something by not you know, hitting all of these different sites. So I think, I think that's something that you can do to just kind of control the influx that's right. coming here. I think another thing is just to curate your media intake on a pretty regular basis. So, you know, for instance, I love podcasts. I listen to maybe 50 podcasts, right? right? But every three months or so, I look at my list of podcasts and I look at which ones have a lot of unlistened to episodes and I just delete those. Like I just, I just unsubscribe from those podcasts that I'm not really listening to because it's, it's evident in my action, even if it's even if I had an aspiration to listen to something, but I'm not doing it, right? right. And so just kind of get, getting rid of that stuff. I do the same thing with my RSS reader. Every once in a while, I go in there and I say, like, what are the things I haven't been that interested in? I'm just going to remove all of that. And so, you know, being mindful about how you're actually, like, how much stuff do you really want to listen to, read, intake, etc. And then in terms of the news, which I think is another big one, I just listen to NPR's Up First podcast every day, and it's oh, yeah. like, and I'm like, this is all the news I need for the day. Yeah. <laughs> and so just kind of pick, like, you don't have to do that, right? But picking what what are you going to do, and time block, and time boxing it. So maybe it's that you read the New York Times headlines, but you're going to do that for 15 minutes every morning instead of checking it six times a day. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely um, identify with the NPR kind of summarization podcast of the news because it it just makes things easier to consume, right? Yeah, you get all the, you know, you get the top level stuff. Like maybe I am not, you know, I'm not a policy wonk and I don't know all the details of all that stuff, but I know the basics. Like, yeah. I'm in the world. I can have an, you know, I can have a conversation and I feel well informed, but I'm only spending 10 minutes a day and I'm doing it while I'm getting dressed and brushing my teeth. Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And say so, sometimes when it comes to the news right now, it's better not to go too deep. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and just like to get your thoughts on the future of technology and, and the role it will play in our everyday lives, because personally, I only see it increasing from here and I. How about you? 
I agree. I mean, I think that, you know, technology is here to stay. Mm. It's only increasing. And I think I think we're really at the infancy stages of just kind of understanding what it's going to do for us and how we should interact. I mean, I think like anything, there's always the honeymoon period where you go full bore. And I think that's kind of where people are or were until very recently with technology in general. It's just kind of like, okay, all the things, we want all the gadgets, we want all the stuff. Like we want all the feeds, we want all the notifications. And I think in the past, you know, maybe three or four years, I've seen more of a shift of, okay, how are we going to integrate this into our lives so that we're using our technology and it's not using us? And so I think it's just going to be a sort of conversation we have with ourselves and large, you know, in the larger world about what are, you know, what are the best ways that we can use the good parts of technology to our advantage and minimize the pieces that are uh, that we find negative or that are pulling from us. And then I I also think that you know I I have a very different experience with technology than my kids have with technology. Yeah. You know, are digital natives and like for them it seems totally ridiculous for like when I tell them like hey I think you're on screens too much they they don't even understand that concept. They're like what are you talking about? <laughs> That's kind of their their life, even though I mean, it's not, but you right. know, we live in the games and things like that. But it's like, it's just, you know, I remember when my son was two, he's 10 now, and he would he would touch our TV screen and say, broken, broken, because it wasn't a touch screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's definitely where we're at right now, yeah. Right, and so, yeah, I think, you know, I don't have the answers, of course, on what we should do about this, but I think we can expect it to stay. We can expect there to be more of it. And we have to be intentional about how we use it. Otherwise, we're going to go crazy. Yes. Yes. I think that's, I think that's great advice, especially the, the word intentional, because I think we, we tend to forget right now we are basically the test group for this technology, right? You know, no one, no one else has had it for, you know, to test out, right? And it's on us. And we know that it's not all good. It can definitely help us uh, in certain instances, but we just need to be a little bit more careful, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I think like it's it's too much of a dichotomy and a false one to say like is technology good or bad, right? right. <laughs> Either because it's both. Right? Yes, exactly. And it's about how we use it. Yeah, you nailed it. You nailed it. Yeah, and when I was actually going through your blog on your website, I came across a really good blog post um, where you kind of referenced uh, Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies Personality Framework. Can you just kind of go into, and you don't have to go too deep into this one, but just like the four different personality types? Sure, yeah. I love using Gretchen Rubin's framework, especially with my clients about productivity. And so basically her framework, The Four Tendencies, is about how people handle internal expectations versus external expectations. And there are, she has four, obviously it's called The Four Tendencies, right? Uh, the first one is an obliger, which is about 70% of people. And these are people who have a really easy time meeting external obligations, but a hard time meeting internal ob- obligations. And I'll use a philo- I'll, I'll use a exercise as a uh, an example to help explain these. Okay. So for an obliger, if they are want to embark on an exercise plan and they uh, are meeting a friend at the gym, or they have paid a personal trainer, or you know they are part of a running group, they're going to have no problem showing up because other people are expecting them to be there. But if they just decide, well, I'm just going to go running outside my front door every day, they're never going to be able to do it because they just don't, they're not able to sort of meet those internal expectations. Mm-hmm. An upholder is someone who 
really easily meets both inner and external expectations. So they want to embark on an exercise plan, no problem, they're just going to do it. They can also be a little rigid in certain ways. Right. There is a questioner, and I'm a questioner. Questioner is someone who really just needs to know the rationale. So they effectively turn everything into an internal expectation. Yeah. And so with exercise, it's like, you know, if they're out of shape or if they um, feel unhealthy or if there's a reason why they need to embark on an exercise plan, they'll have no problem doing it. But if they, you know, get a ton of, if they get a lot of, you know, daily outdoor activity in their job or if they're not unhealthy in any way and they can't really find a good reason, they're not going to be able to move forward with it. Right. And then the last one is a rebel who really doesn't like any expectations at all. <laughs> uh, but they're kind of, an, the, the way to sort of get at it is identity-based. And so, you know, for them, they're never going to sort of care about meeting a friend at the gym for their, their workout. They're not really going to care about, you know, doing it for themselves. But they might be, they might react to the feeling of, I am a healthy person and therefore I exercise. Right. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. And it, again, kind of like case dependent when it comes to the different personality types. But have you have you come across any examples of kind of using that to someone's uh, advantage when it comes to being more productive in in the work setting? Definitely. So I I actually work with, as part of my um, program with my clients. I have them find out a number of things about themselves on a number of dimensions, and this is one of them. And I think the reason that this is really valuable for productivity is that if you're, if you ostensibly want to do something, and some, and you're not able to make yourself do that thing, looking towards your tendency can really help you figure out a driver to help you get there. So, you know, say you want to start doing an end of day planning routine for your productivity, and you just can't make yourself do it and you're an obliger, well, then maybe you need an accountability buddy, someone who you are going to email every day or who will check in with you every day to see if you've done it because that's going to drive you, right? right? Or, you know, if you're a questioner, then maybe you're going to need to make a pro-con list to figure out if this is something that you really feel is worth doing for you. Uh, and so I think that's how I use it more is like if you can't, if you're really having trouble building a new habit or making something stick, what is it about that um, that we can pull from your tendency to come up with a strategy that's going to help you get there? Yeah, well, that, that's actually really good. I like that because you're just using what that person has to their advantage instead of trying to totally change and like going 180 degrees, right? And that's impossible. I mean, yeah. I think I think that that there are all these productivity books and apps and all this stuff out there. And, you know, it was the silver bullet for whoever wrote it, but that doesn't mean that it's the silver bullet for you or me or any of my clients. And I think that it's really important to build a productivity system or really any kind of system around, you know, who you are at your core, because changing who you are, you know, maybe you can change it for a little while, but it's not going to stick. You know, you want to have something that's easy and convenient for the person that you are, because, you're not going to change the person that you are. Yeah, you're cool. that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. The uh, the term conscious prioritization, can you kind of explain to people what that is, number one, and then we'll also kind of talk about implementing that to be more productive? Yeah, so for me, conscious prioritization is really uh, understanding that our workload um, is both flexible and ever-changing and that we want to consciously figure out what are we going to do today and what order should we do the things in, right? So I think, you know, even if we have a list of, you know, here's the 15 things I want to do today, 
what order do we do them in, right? We want to do the must-dos first, right? Because if you get to the end of the day and you still have some of those, well, then you're going to be working late, right? right. You then want to you know, take on the quick things because those are give you that nice dopamine hit of checking stuff on a li- off of a list. Then you want to do the the nice to haves because if you don't get to them, and most people who are ambitious don't get to every single thing on their list every day, then you know that those are okay to move to the next day. And so it's it's all it's about sort of figuring out how and when we're going to do the things that we've already prioritized, but also then recognizing that our prioritization might need to change throughout the day. Right? You might be have a a great planned out list of what you're going to do and what order you're going to do it in. And then you get an email that comes in at 11 a.m. and you compare it to that list and you say, this is actually more important than anything I have on my list today. You need to, you need to sort of reprioritize things. And so it's, it's kind of a mindset in accepting that your day is not going to be exactly how you planned it, even if you're a great planner and then being flexible enough to know how to reprioritize when when those things do come in. Yeah, and I, I totally identify with that because uh, I have tried to get better recently at being okay to things changing. So I, I always have my daily plan, and if something comes up, I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's the best laid plans. And you know, this is something people say to me in workshops all the time. They're like, well, time blocking doesn't work for me because I can never stick to it. And I'm like, that's okay, right? Like most of us can't stick to things yeah. 100% because we live in the real world where things change. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's, um, that's definitely something I need to be a little bit better about. I'm just going to be more adaptable in, in certain situations, yeah. Right. And, you know, the term accountability comes up, uh, I'm sure, tons for you in, in your line of work and obviously for me when I'm, when I'm coaching people. And when it comes to getting a coach or a trainer, people – like that because it keeps them accountable and it takes it off their mind. Like they don't have to think when they come into the gym. Right. But how, how how do you approach like holding people accountable and getting themselves to hold themselves accountable uh, and developing that in people? Yeah. And so I, so to me, accountability, my definition for accountability is just doing what you said you were going to do by when you said you were going to do it. Right. Like a very simple definition. Right. And so I think um, accountability actually comes right back to the tendencies in a way, because I know when I'm working with people who are obligers that they're going to need me to be on them more, that I'm going to need to be checking in more, et cetera, and that that's what's going to help them to build that habit. And then once they've built the habit, they, you know, it becomes a little bit less uh, of a need for me to be on it all the time, right? right. Because they built that and it's part of it. For being accountable to themselves, you know, it's uh, by the time that people come to work with me, they're, they're committed to changing the ways that they, you know, what what's working in their life isn't working anymore, right? Yeah. When they're not working. So I think that help reminding them, like if they come to one of our sessions and they haven't done the homework, either pushing out that session and saying, well, okay, let's let's not do it this week. Like let's make sure that you've made progress before we meet. Right. Or it's really having a deep conversation about, okay, why is it like is it is it that you don't see the value in this thing that you're trying to do? Is it that you are having just logistical trouble implementing it? Like really getting down to the root cause of something instead of sort of assigning blame in terms of like, like you didn't do this, et cetera. And then I also think that a strategy that people can really use to their advantage in terms of becoming more accountable is the strategy of under promise over deliver. Right. And so give yourself more time than you think you're going to need to get something done so that you can keep your promises. 
so that you can be more accountable. So, you know, in a work perspective, it's, okay, if you are, if you think you can get this report to somebody by Wednesday, then tell them Friday because stuff's going to come up. And if you get it to them by Wednesday, when you think you can, you're going to look totally amazing. Yeah. If you get it to them by Friday, you're still going to look great. Right? Yes. The accountability aspect, and I want to ask you this in relation to something that comes up a lot when it comes, especially like exercise, right? So if someone comes in to see me and they're like, you know, I, my job takes up so much time. I got so much other things going on. I just don't have time to exercise, you know? And so in the whole scope of things, we're looking at, okay, as a, as a human being, obviously we know we need to work to make money. We need to have a personal life and we need to stay somewhat healthy so we can live longer, right? Yeah. Now, when people come to you and say, hey, for certain aspects, it doesn't have to be exercise, but they're basically making the, I don't have enough time. How do you approach breaking that? that? So the first thing that I do with all of my clients is I have them track their time for a week. Mm. From the second they wake up until the second they go to bed. Uh, and I have you know, a spreadsheet where they can do this. There are also apps. And I, I do this at the beginning because everybody who comes to me says, I don't have time. Right. It's about time, right? And what what most people find is that they do have time. They're just not using their time in a way that is consistent with their goals, right? And so some people have kind of an idea that they're not sleeping enough or they have an idea that they're on social media too much. But, you know, I had a client who tracked his time and he came back and he said, well, I'm embarrassed to admit that I'm on like social media and Reddit for four hours a day. <laughs> and he was like, I knew I was on there a lot. I thought it was maybe an hour. Right. And so I think that's, that's the first piece is to actually know it's kind of like Peter Drucker, what gets measured gets managed. Yeah, right. Yeah. Once you know where your time is going, then it's really hard to say like, I have no time. You need to actually see where it is. Now, some people, they are actually engaged in productive stuff from the moment that they wake up to the moment that they go to bed. And it's that they have taken on too much. And so then it becomes about, okay, what can we get rid of? How can we outsource? How can we delegate? You know, what chores can your kids be doing so it doesn't fall on your plate? Like, how do we actually remove stuff from your plate? Right. That's, that's definitely a really good point because I've, I've definitely come across different types of people, right, in relation to what you just mentioned of people who legit are crazy busy and right. then people who think they're busy, but then if you really examine it, it, right. it breaks down. It's, it's not the case, right? So... Um, but I, I definitely think what something that you have your, your clients do when it comes to like tracking their time, I think everybody would benefit from that. Oh, I think so too. And you know, I do it for myself every, you know, every six months or so I'll track for a week or two just to see kind of where I am and what I'm doing. And you know, it's, it's interesting because I think the time tracking, it works on two levels. One, it works on the level of like, here, I'm going to see where my time's actually going. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of it, kind of like a food journal, you're reluctant to, to like do something like you're reluctant to eat that piece of chocolate if you're going to have to write it down. Right. Like you're reluctant to waste three hours on social media if you're going to have to write that down. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like auditing your own tax return. You know, it's like, uh, I don't really want to do that. Yeah. Awesome. Alexis, this has been hugely informative. So thank you very much for that. Thanks. Before we wrap it up, can you just kind of fill everyone in on where they can find you on online on social media? Yes. 
So I think the best place is my my website. It's alexishasselberger.com. And maybe you can put that in the show notes because yes. no one can spell my name. <laughs> and people can sign up for my email newsletter there. I send out tips a couple of times a week. Or sorry, a couple of times a month. I don't want to over <laughs> oversell that. It's like twice a month, two emails. All right. I am. I have an online course on Udemy that people can um, they can watch a couple of the test videos and, and see what that's like. And then I'm really not. You know, I'm not on Twitter. I did recently sign up for an Instagram account, but I haven't posted anything yet. And I think for me, which is do more, stress less, right. as my Instagram. Account. But I um, I really try to stay away from a lot of the social media for my own time. So my website is the best place to get me. That makes sense. (laughs) Definitely uh, not missing a whole lot on social media. I will tell you that much right now. This has been great. Yeah, thanks again. I definitely learned a ton from just researching for our interviews. So anybody out there who's maybe perhaps struggling with time management and a lot of stress in their lives, definitely check out Alexis' material on her website. Thanks again, Alexis. Thanks so much, John. It was really fun to talk to you. You guys listening at home, if you have a second, drop over to iTunes, leave us a review. We'd really appreciate that. And I will catch you guys on the next episode.